Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host. Joining me, Mel. Mel, today we have the privilege of hearing from my counselor. Actually, it's our marriage counselor. So it's okay. it's for Christy and I together. Yeah. Yeah. Is she going to come on this podcast and just share some really good stories with us? She, <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> she probably has some good stories. No, it's, this is, this was so, I mean, you got to give me kudos because this is like, this is kind of putting ourselves out there, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah, bring, in our, for real. bring in our counselor who probably knows our relationship better than anybody else and all the good and the bad. Right. And bringing her to, to have a conversation about marriage uh, and specifically the things that couples tend to deal with that can cause couples to move down the road of, of drifting from each other, of, you know, eventually maybe divorce and, but how to have a thriving marriage. This is an awesome conversation. I love it. And I love Julie. Let me tell you why I love Julie, because there were probably four or five times, if you've heard Christy and I tell our story, you've heard her talk about this. There were four or five times that Christy like was adamant about breaking up with me while we were dating. She's like, I can't, we're not going to, no, I'm not dating this guy. And every time she would go see Julie and Julie would talk her back into being with me. Now, this praise was... Praise the Lord for I'm, Julie. Praise the Lord for Julie, right? Thank you, Julie. Christy and... Ju- Julie's been Christy's counselor for a, for a while, for a long time. And so then okay. when we got married, I just ended up a dot. I was like, you know what? You know, you know, Christy really well. Christy, you got a great relationship with Julie. I'll step in and we'll just, you know, use you as our marriage counselor. Um, totally makes sense. Yeah. But I love Julie for that reason. I'm like, yeah, Julie, come on. <laughs> She's in your corner. <laughs> the good thing is, is she is not team Davey or team Christy. And that's what a great counselor does. They're able to come in with an objective opinion. They're not biased on any side of the coin. And they're able to kind of bring out the stuff that is going on in each one of your hearts and that permeates into your relationship that can cause destructive things in your relationship. And that's what a great counselor can do. Well, I just want to say it's so encouraging to even hear you talk about going to a counselor and sharing that aspect of your life. Um, I also have been seeing a counselor since um, I think like November or something, and it has been so beneficial. I mean, (sighs) I've heard it said, don't go to counseling when the house is on fire. Go be proactive, go before. And absolutely, there were just so many things that I just needed outside help with. And um, it has been such a blessing. So I love that you, you guys have got a marriage counselor in your lives. And sometimes I feel like it's getting better, but there is a stigma around counseling. You're right. Yeah. And there seems to be this idea that like, man, you only go to counseling if, like you said, if everything's falling apart and man, we shouldn't tell anybody that we're going to see a counselor because they're going to think that everything's falling apart. And that's a shame. That's a travesty that that is the stigma around counseling because I think every person needs a counselor in their life. Yeah. There, there are always things that you're going to be walking through where you need somebody to have an objective opinion that can bring out God's word, shine some light on what you're feeling, what you're going through, that has empathy, that can sit there in in the situation, but loves you enough and loves what God can do in your life enough to not allow you to sit and wallow in that situation. That can bring you up out of that situation, give you some perspective, give you some hope. And um, there's just something powerful that happens. And so we're constantly endorsing you need to see a counselor. You need to have yeah. this as a regular rhythm 
pre, uh, preventive maintenance for your soul. Yeah, I guess. absolutely. And uh, one thing that Julie said that I really liked is sometimes she'll go into uh, men's conferences and talk to them about marriage and their wives. And yeah. um, I'm sure you can attest to this, but there's something about not your spouse uh, mm. telling you it, but hearing it with fresh ears from somebody else and just naming that, that really is beneficial to your oh, marriage. Yeah. It's so beneficial. In fact, one of the funny, quirky things about our marriage that probably is also true of a lot of people's marriages, but we're just now kind of discovering this. Christy gives me a hard time about the fact she's like, I, I tell you those things all the time. I tell you that all the time. And it takes somebody else for you to actually listen to it. And it's so true because I'm like, yeah, you're right. For some reason, it it just lands easier on me. Like it, like it lands more convicting with me and I'm able to palate it when someone else tells me those things. Exactly. Charlie and I talk about that all the time because his opinion means the most to me. My opinion means right. the most to him. And so when he tells me something that's hard, I hear it 10 times louder than exactly. anybody else. And and really, it just causes you, whether you want to or not, it causes you to walk in defensive mode and, and kind yep. of flare up in that because you're like, I don't want to disappoint my spouse. I don't want them to like, do they really feel this way about me? And so you're thinking about all those other things rather than really taking an introspective, honest look at yourself and going, is that true? Is that really true? But when you sit down with somebody who's objective and they can go, hey, this is what I'm seeing in you, it's like, oh. It's enlightening. It's like yes. eye-opening. This is why, Mel, again, this is why I think that you'd need a counselor in your life always. But there's also, I went to this um, seminar with a guy that we've had on the podcast, Ken Roberts, and it was a, there was a, it was a powerful seminar. He talked about um, just kind of like as a leader, what, what kinds of things do you, do, do you need to have in your life in order to, to stay healthy as a leader? And mm -hmm. he talked about the four different type of types of relationships that you need to have. Every leader needs to have in their life if they're going to remain healthy. Okay. Always have these four relationships. The first one is a mentor. And this is someone that's just a little bit further down the road than you are that can speak to you about what the road looks like, what the pitfalls are going to be, what the things to watch out for, what the journey is like. So a mentor totally is the first agree one. With that. Yep. A coach is the second one. Okay. And a coach is someone that can draw things out of you. So they kind of bring out the most in, uh, you know, from, in, from within you, bring it out of you. They, they act as like a mirror and they do a really good job of like asking questions uh, okay. to, to motivate you, you know, to get you to, to become the best version of, of yourself. The third one, okay, is a counselor. And a counselor lifts up the hood, so to speak, and takes a look and can diagnose what's going on. Why the, re why the like check engine lights on, what's okay. happening there. And if you know from, I mean, from, I don't know if you do anything with your cars, but if you leave the check engine light, the check engine light typically doesn't mean something's on fire right now, but it does mean if you don't fix it, if you don't do something about it, it will be on fire. I'm going to be totally honest. I always pretend that nothing's wrong. And then the light usually goes off. And I was like, see, I was see, right. there it is. And that's what most people do when it comes to their emotional health too. Yes. Right? That's what most people do. They're like, oh, something, there's red light indicator. Unfortunately. And they don't go see a counselor. And, but then the thing ends up breaking down. And I'm, so a counselor is just this like kind of an expert, a professional that can lift up the hood, go, hey, here's what's happening. Here's a diagnosis. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing, spiritual director. A spiritual director uh, walks alongside of you to help you hear God's voice for mm -hmm. your life. 
Oh, wow. Isn't that fascinating? So these four different types of people, mentor, coach, counselor, and spiritual director. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like actively seeking out a couple of these roles in my life. I'm like, man, this is powerful. I need these roles in my life. And I'm planning on going asking certain people, hey, can you be this in my life in this next season? And this is what I'm asking you to do. Well, okay. So this whole interview, she's talking about marriage. And I love because she really gives you some practical tools to have a good marriage and um, has decades of experience. And um, I just gleaned a lot from her. But one thing that I feel like she kind of alluded to, and uh, she definitely talks about like prayer being a component. Um, But that's actually something I have found very beneficial in my own life is um, if there's something in Charlie's life that um, I want him to work on or it'd be Mm. great if he changed, um, I have this uh, 10 to 1 rule where I'll tell him about it. But before that, I will pray about it 9 to 10 times first. Mm. And then if he hasn't moved or, you know, because he can't read my mind, you know, then I'll say, hey, can you please be mindful of this? And I feel like that 10 to 1 rule has been so helpful in our marriage. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing concept. And I think that would be really helpful for so many marriages because I think oftentimes you tend to just go straight to, you know, correcting or nitpicking or trying to figure out. Yeah, exactly. And of course we're married. You're going to see the worst sides of me, but we can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. Exactly. Yeah, Even and we have to trust the, to. the same spirit that lives in him lives in me right. and and there's unity there. So Wow, that's so good. Well, this is a fantastic interview. Before we jump into the interview, I want to ask you guys to go and rate and review the podcast. If this has ministered to you, if you've been blessed by this podcast, go to iTunes, rate and review it, help us out, get the word out there, share it with people. And let's do this. I would love for you to take to Instagram. If you're listening to this, take to Instagram share with us maybe like a like a screenshot you know you add you go to you know share a story or something of you listening to one of the podcast episodes that has been most beneficial to you and share with us what has been most beneficial to you tag yes. nothing is wasted ministries I would we'll love kind that. of like forward that on and add it to our stories. But we just want to hear from you guys because we want to hear what's ministering to you, how you're being filled up with hope. It so encourages us. It tells us, hey, to keep going in, in this work. And, um, and we just want to interact with you guys more. And so make sure you yep. go and do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I love Instagram and I would totally love that. So great idea, Davey. Um, well, let's listen to Julie's interview now. Julie, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Davey. It's my pleasure. Well, Julie, um, many of the listeners won't know, but you uh, are a counselor. And what they don't know is that you are a counselor to us. You help me out a lot. (laughs) So I've sat in your counseling office and I've poured out my heart to you and (laughs) I've said, hey, I need some help. (laughs) And I'm so appreciative of it that I was like, I've got to have Julie come and talk to us from the perspective of a counselor. And so it's so good to have you. Well, I, I really appreciate being asked and um, am blessed to be able to participate with your incredible podcast. You mm-hmm. guys have a wonderful ministry, and I'm glad to be able to be a part of it. Oh, well, thank you. Why don't you start out and just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what your life looks like right now, and 
how you got into doing what you're doing. Okay. So I have been a professional counselor for 30 years this May. Wow. And Congratulations. That's a big deal. 30 years. Sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh, yeah. It means I have to be a certain age, right? Um, <laughs> I, I love what I do. I, it's interesting because um, I actually completed the first uh, two years of pursuing a pre-med degree. Oh, wow. And I completed, because I tend to be pretty singularly focused when I set my mind on a goal, yeah, I yeah. actually completed every course requirement for that pre-med major in those first two years. But during my sophomore year, I had what I call an epiphany that I think was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Um, and I realized that um, if I spent eight to 12 years just getting prepared for a career, I wanted to be a thoracic surgeon. Oh, wow. <laughs> that I might have a difficult time leading a balanced life. And so just that quickly, yeah. I changed from pre-med. I finished that year mm. uh, and then transferred to another university to complete uh, an interdisciplinary major in marriage and family relations. And then I went on to complete my master's in counseling psychology and uh, completed some doctoral work in counseling psychology as well. And so I've had a counseling practice ever since I graduated. And wow. um, yeah, that's now been 30 years. That's amazing. So you've seen a lot of clients, a lot of people through probably the gamut of situations. I mean, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and you have helped people walk through their trials, their pain, their, their pressures, their problems. Do you feel like this is a little bit deviating off script, but before we dive into some of the content, I want you to talk, do you feel, um, that as a professional, sometimes you're like, man, I should have this all figured out and, and, and you're helping everybody else with their problems. And then you kind of have trouble applying it to your own life. I know I feel like that as a pastor, sometimes like, yeah, I can solve your problem. I just can't solve my own problem. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm often reminded of that saying, physician, heal thyself, right? Uh, um, wow. I'm not a physician, but but sure, I, I think that I would imagine that applies to almost all of us, right? It's, yeah. it's very easy for us to share wisdom and encouragement and great ideas with others. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit different to apply that as consistently to our own lives. I yeah. certainly try to apply the strategies and principles and dynamics and foundations that I encourage my clients. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think I wouldn't be human if I suggested that I have it all figured out yeah. or that I do that all I know. completely consistently. Well, it's the strategies, the um, principles, the things that you have shared with us as we've sat down with you are simply amazing. And I want so badly for all of our listeners to hear all of it. We want to solve all the problems right here in this interview. Do you think we can do solve everybody's problem? Can we do it? We can give it a really first-class <laughs> effort. How about that? Oh, we'll do great. our best, Davey. Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about um, marriage. I love the way that you talk about marriage when we sit down with you and we and we talk about um, how we've been, you know, blending family and we're uh, working through a lot of um, different things. And and as many married people are, um, but how how has um, God used the the people that you see as you're helping them? with marriage problems, marriage situations. How has God used that to shape your view of marriage? For 30 years, you've been seeing married clients. And how do you feel about marriage 
uh, as you have been watching people interact with each other? Well, so those are two different questions, but um, I'll start with how I'm pretty I feel good at asking marriage. two questions. I usually ask three or four, and then you just have to figure it out as you go. <laughs> I'll see if I can respond to the two that I heard. So um, you're right. I I love marriage. I I just I think marriage is an incredible gift, and it really is to me, without question, our best opportunity to. Yeah genuinely and very practically be the hands and feet of Jesus in the life of another person. So I think marriage gives us our best opportunities to love sacrificially, to forgive mm. unconditionally, to uh, to model Christ. And so uh, it's, yes, you're right. It's it's very easy for me to talk about um, all of the wonderful things about marriage because I, I think it's really awesome. I think mm. it's really incredible and a great opportunity you also asked uh, what I've learned from my clients. And mm. you're right, there's no way that I could be seeing clients over the course of several decades without learning an awful lot from my clients. And one of those things I would say is that I have lots of clients who ask me, it's so funny, I'll have couples come in and say, are we normal? <laughs> Which Right. I, and I do that, Davey. That's exactly what I do. I can't uh, help but I have to chuckle every time somebody asks me that question because my response is, you know, your marriage has to work for exactly two people who mm. have ever lived or who will ever live. But it does have to work for both of you, mm. not just one. So that's one of the things that I've observed over the years. Something else that I observed, and I, I think that this might have been true more 15 to 30 years ago than perhaps it is today, but um, I've always considered my counseling to be as much a ministry as anything else. And of course, I'm yeah. a Christian counselor. I, I provide biblically uh, consistent counseling to my Christian clients, of course, as a professional mm. counselor. Um, I can't impose my values. I wouldn't want to impose my values or my theology on my clients. And I never assume that just because clients say I'm a Christian, that that automatically means that that I understand their theology. So that's something that I'm always going to ask in order to be able to uh, make as much use of uh, biblical foundational concepts with each client at, right. or whether couple or individual, as they choose, right? Yeah. But one of the things that I started noticing really from the very beginning was the number of couple clients who very intentionally sought out Christian counseling when their marriages were in trouble. Mm. Even if they were not Christians, did not profess to be Christians themselves, or if they would have considered themselves to be pretty nominal Christians, you know, raised in wow. a Christian home, but maybe not really attending church or something like that. And that was just really interesting to me that, yeah. that um, it seemed like there was a, a pretty common expectation that um, our marriage is going to be better served mm -hmm. by a Christian counselor wow. and by a secular counselor. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Man, it's almost like intuitively there's something in us that, you know, it's like when Scripture says that he writes eternity on our hearts that somehow we know intuitively the principles of Scripture, even if we may not be super familiar with them, but the principles of uh, Philippians chapter 2, considering other people's needs before your own, you know, um, having the mindset of Christ, somehow that yes. that's going to be a key 
to have helping us have a thriving and happy relationship with each other in a marriage that you, it's funny how you mentioned that question. Are you, are we normal? People are asking, am I, are we normal? And I, I imagine <clears throat> there's sometimes a stigma that comes along with, or someone carries with them as they come to sit down for counseling. Cause they're like, wow, we're seeing counseling right now. We must be, we must be messed up. Do you find that sometimes mm-hmm. that people maybe even hold off before they see counseling until it's like last case, you know, last ditch effort because there's uh, maybe a stigma? I, f- I feel like maybe maybe it's not as bad as it was 15 years ago or so, but but did, is that still true, do you think, um, that people, they wait for a while and, and maybe they think that because they're seeing a counselor that there must be something just grievously wrong with them or their marriage? I I do think that people tend to put off counseling longer than is optimal. And I would say that that applies whether someone is seeking individual counseling or marital counseling, Mm -hmm. couples counseling, or family counseling, whatever. For some reason, uh, for most people, that is something that we wait longer than is ideal Mm -hmm. um, to, to solicit that kind of help. I'm not sure that it's like you mentioned necessarily because of the stigma, mm. but it can be for all varieties of reasons, whether whether it is that we have developed some coping mechanisms that work just well enough uh, yeah. for us to kind of ignore or discount or dismiss the significance of the issues, um, perhaps because we're afraid mm. of what will be uncovered yeah. Um, sometimes it's the cost, the cost yeah. of time, uh, the cost of energy and effort, as well as the financial cost. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of reasons that we often put off counseling uh, longer than perhaps we should. I'm not sure that it is so much like you said today, the stigma. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I I often uh, joke about the the group of clients that I started seeing back in the 1990s, actually. So it, it's been quite a while ago. And and this group of young friend couples, basically, they had no stigma about going to counseling. They mm-hmm. talked amongst themselves all the time about going to counseling. And yeah. and I would I would get a referral. I would I mean I would hear from someone who would say, okay, you know, I got your card from so and so and so and so and so and so and I'm just sick of everybody telling me I need to <laughs> so and they used to joke they 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 would go away, several of the couples would go away every summer um for a vacation together and they used to joke that, well, surely you have to just shut down your practice when we're all gone because you can't possibly have any other clients than in our friend group. Uh, so that that was a really unique situation that hasn't amazing. ever really replicated since then. Uh, yeah, but it, it was a really funny kind of kind of uh, period of time and group of people that just all, they almost treated it like a yeah. social activity <laughs> to yeah. be in counseling. All, well, all I can only imagine the conversations while they were on vacation about how Julie's been helping us and oh, Julie's been helping us and what's Julie been, and just, that's, that's hilarious. That's so funny. It's funny how, um, it, it, it's almost like it requires for many of us, and I think we discredit this, but it requires, especially in a marriage relationship, a third party to tell you things that maybe your spouse has been telling you a lot, (laughs) 
but you don't hear it from your spouse. Yes. And it's like to have that third part. And I, I know that there's been situations for us where Christy's like, I've been telling you that for a long time and you're hearing it from this person. Why is this? There's frustration. And I'm sure this happens in so many um, married relationships. But um, why do you think it is that in our human nature, we we have trouble hearing certain things from our spouse and Maybe how can we, if if we're married, how can we help, you know, um, you know, this, we all have these things where we're like, well, I want to change my spouse. How do I change my spouse, my spouse, right? How, like what, how should we respond to that um, as, as we're, as we're relating with each other, husband and wife, how should we respond to those feelings or impulses to want to change our spouse, you know? <laughs> Yes, yes. Wow, you just brought up so much, Davey. So let me see if I can work through it in a in a logical order. Again, um, I asked you three first, questions. <laughs> at least. <laughs> uh, so first, um, you are absolutely correct that, and I say this regularly to my clients. You know that that um, whether it's a parent and a teenage child. Mm -hmm. Um, But absolutely in marriages as well, there are some things that we just don't want to hear from our spouses. And and that's one of those things that I I wish was not the case uh, because, you know, part of what I love about marriage is this opportunity to be a loving reflection to our spouse. Um, And, and if that's our, if that's our intent, if our, if our heart is in the right place and we really do just want to be helpful, then uh, it's it can be really frustrating that that our, the other person seems somewhat closed mm. to hearing that. You know, it's funny. I, I've been asked to um, lead men's retreats on occasion mm. for precisely that reason. And and the introduction that I often offer in that kind of a situation is you may wonder why some woman that you don't know or have never heard of is uh, presenting at your men's <laughs> retreat um, or your men's conference. And the reason is because there are things that you don't want to hear from your wife. Yeah. But, you know, and of course I can say the exact same thing right. in, you know, in reverse to, 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 um, to wives. But, um, and so it's helpful to just understand that first of all, yeah. that, that it does just seem to be part of human nature. And I think that the more we're aware of it, uh, the more intellectually honest we are with ourselves, then perhaps there's an opportunity uh, for us to be a little bit more open yeah. uh, to to the wisdom and the insight and the perspective of the person who is closest to us over anyone else in mm. our lives, right? Right. Um, but now let's get to the other part about you know what can we do when when we're we would really like to change our spouse, mm. um, but uh, but we really can't do that. And that also, you're so right about that, Davy. That. Um, we have a tendency, I think, to look at other people mm. more than we want to look at ourselves. Um, and, and we certainly do that in our marriages. And so we have a tendency to be pointing our finger uh, externally towards the other person um, because we're aware of, you know, what rubs us the wrong way or what hurts our feelings or what mm. feels offensive or something like that. And so I think that it's really important for us to keep in mind a couple of things. First of all, the reality is we cannot change any mm. anyone other than ourselves. We certainly influence others and we and hopefully we can choose to be a good influence on others. But um, I think that there are there's kind of a hierarchy of ways for us to think about uh, being the best influence we can be in our marriages that 
that uh, will end up helping us be the the best individuals mm-hmm. and persons that we can be as well, right? So the first thing that that we want to do, of course, as believers is make sure that we have a pretty intent focus on our own relationship with the Lord, right? Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to uh, certainly have the best opportunity of serving our spouse well and serving our marriage well and and um, being the best uh, mother or father to our children as well um, if if we are attending to that most important relationship in our lives, which is with the Lord. Um, and then uh, as we're doing that, uh, that should be encouraging us to focus, mm-hmm. kind of turn the light inwards on uh, what we can change because um, most of us, I won't, I won't be so arrogant as to speak for everyone, but I think most of us on this earth still have some room yet for improvement, right? Uh, for growth, right? right. And right. interestingly enough, some of the things that annoy us the most about other people, including our spouses, are actually things that we do. Wow. And so it's really helpful for us to use our own internal complaints, whether we voice them aloud or not. But every time I notice um, myself complaining, you know, like for instance, my spouse is, doesn't listen to me well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really good opportunity for me to ask myself that exact question. Am I mm-hmm. being a good listener? Am wow. I listening well? Am I attending really to my spouse? Am I tuning in when he talks? Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Like I said, sometimes we project and and mm-hmm. and what we notice from a negative perspective in our spouse may very well be something that we are actually doing. And so since we can't change our spouse, yeah. uh, but we, but we certainly can change ourselves, then that's also where we have room to be productive, mm. to accomplish something rather than just complain or be upset to no avail. And so we have much more uh, power, much more control uh, when we look at ourselves anyway. And so um, that those are some of the, the best things I think that I would encourage. Of course, I also encourage um, uh, prayer. I had a conversation with a client about this just earlier today uh, that uh, this was a this was a female client. And so uh, and she is she is a Christian and and. So she wants her counseling to include biblical principles. And um, and the specific issue was that she knew that her husband was actually struggling spiritually. Mm. And she said, how can I, how can I encourage him? How can I help him? How can I, you know, and I said that, you know, the interesting thing is that um, in Christian marriages where we both are supposed to be submissive to the Lord first, and then um, the husband is supposed to be the spiritual head of his home. Unfortunately, uh, at least in the West, <laughs> uh, what often, what so often happens, right, is that women tend to be a little bit more um, spiritually, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sensitive, mm, yeah. maybe, is the right word. Spiritually sensitive. And so, uh, it is so common for me to hear uh, Christian wives talk about how, you know, well, I tell my husband he needs to be the spiritual leader mm. of our home. <laughs> and so I have to ask the question, well, now, if you've told him 
that that's what you want him to do or that's what he needs to do, then if he starts doing that more, doesn't that mean he's now being obedient unto you? Mm. Wow. <laughs> which, which, which kind of defeats the purpose, right? So mm. as Christian wives, um, I think that we're not supposed to be verbally encouraging our Christian husbands to mm. be the spiritual leaders of the home. They need to get that encouragement or that motivation or that support or those ideas elsewhere. Mm. And so this, of course, is a place where prayer yeah. comes in, right? Wow. Well, I, I can just imagine, I mean, you kind of open up a can of worms right here, um, which I'm glad you did, but I can imagine how difficult that is, especially for women who feel like... Um, their their husband they just can't like light a fire in their husband and their husband's not really stepping into becoming who he's supposed to be and so how else can I help him other than to as lovingly and as convincingly as I possibly can persuade him to be the spiritual leader if that doesn't work Julie what what would you suggest I mean prayer obviously that's going to be the most powerful component you said but are there some other tools that women can <laughs> use um to, to help their husband along in that? Well, I, I think that what occurs to me is um, a, after making sure that my relationship with the Lord is where it's supposed to be, that I am, I am being the woman of God that I profess to be and that I want to be, uh, that I am praying uh, consistently and persistently for my husband along with every, everyone else in my family and, and everything else in our lives, um, certainly modeling, right? Uh, if I think that spiritual development, spiritual sensitivity, spiritual maturity is something that is really, really important, then I should certainly be engaged in those kinds of activities myself. And so mm. I want to make sure that I have a daily quiet time, that I'm participating actively in my church, in a small group or Sunday school class, maybe in a women's Bible study separately. So I can certainly model what faithfulness, commitment, diligence, devotion, seeking hard after the Lord looks like. Um, I think that it's completely acceptable for me to talk with my husband about my own struggles, mm. uh, my own questions uh, or encouragements that I've received from some of those other women's groups or Sunday school, Bible studies, et cetera. So I think those are some ways that we can, we can certainly encourage that. Um, and uh, I do think that while it is ideal for husbands and fathers to be leading family devotions or family prayer time or, or uh, Bible reading, et cetera, that if, if the husband is not assuming that leadership role or that mantle, then I certainly would not leave it undone with mm. my children. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, when, when you talk about, we'll just kind of lean in on this a little bit more because there may be some men who are listening and they want to be the spiritual leader of their home. They're just not mm -hmm. sure what that looks like practically. You're coming at it from an, a female perspective. And so it's probably a very helpful perspective, very much like you speaking at this men's conference. How would you advise a, a man if you're standing in front of a men's conference right now and you're telling them uh, how to be a spiritual leader in their home? What would that look like? Well, I would start exactly the same way I just did in speaking to wives, that 
the first, the most important part is, is to certainly attune, attend and tune in to your own spiritual developments relationship with the Lord. So that mm-hmm. means that you do want to be involved in um, a, a church, a local congregation um, uh, that I would usually recommend that that include some kind of a small group or Sunday school class, mm-hmm. if not a, a men's Bible study or group or something like that. I know that's not possible for everyone. You know, there are some people who travel. Um, I've got clients who who travel four or five days out of the week and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're only home for a day or two on the weekends. And that's just a nightmare kind of existence, I think. But um, and so, of course, not not everybody's lives will allow all of the things that we might want in terms of drawing close to the Lord and, and spiritual development. And so sometimes we have to be um, uh, somewhat creative about that. I'll never forget the story I heard about. a. Um, I heard this story from a man when he was probably in his 50s or 60s. He's, he's now passed away, but he, he used to tell the story about when he was in his first associate pastor position And the senior pastor there told him that he needed to begin every single day on his knees on a hard floor, by the way, linoleum back then, (laughs) whatever it was, 50s or whatever, um, uh, kneeling in front of a hard-backed wooden chair, uh, and he needed to pray for two hours Wow! um, at the beginning of every workday. And so this now uh, very distinguished well-respected senior pastor himself in his career said, well, when I woke up two hours later (laughs) with my, (laughs) with my head on the, on the hard seat of that chair, I realized Uh, I'm going to have to come up with my own plan. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That would totally be me as well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, I'm not sure who could do that, but you know, so, so we have to kind of come up with things that work for our, for ourselves, right? Not the exact same strategies, the same disciplines are not necessarily going to work in the exact same way for everyone. But um, certainly making sure that, that your family gathers together for meals, um, Mm -hmm. says prayer over meals, uh, has a family quiet time or devotion time where maybe you're just reading passages out of scripture. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, God's word speaks. Yeah. And or you're using there's so many incredible devotionals out there these days that are that are suitable for all ages that are so easy to understand that just bring scripture to life and Mm -hmm. uh, help put it into real terms. But um, so I I think that there are there are ways that you can kind of ease in. Um, And just like anything else, Davey, you know, every time that we we start to implement something new in our lives, Again, back to human nature, we tend to resist it, no mm. matter how positive it is, no matter how much we really want it. We do that to ourselves. All you have to do is um, think about the number of people you know who make the exact same New Year's resolution year after year after year right. after year, which obviously indicates they have not completed that goal <laughs> right. in a, in a right. previous year, right? So, so even when it's something that we're, that we as an individual are saying, I'm going to change the way I eat or the way I exercise or the way I read the Bible or whatever it is, we're going to resist it. And and the more Mm. we understand and expect that, then the less discouraged we're likely Mm. to be if, when, when that is exactly what we experience, in fact, we can look at it and go, oh, hey, there's that resistance. I guess that's yeah. evidence right. that, that I'm, I'm making progress, right? But that's all the more true when we're trying to implement a change, whether it's just between us and our spouse 
or in our family with our Mm. children. So the more people who are involved in that change, the more resistance you're going to encounter. And, And I would just advise that you be aware of that and be prepared for that so that you're not surprised by it and it doesn't derail your your intentions yeah. and your efforts. Wow, that is so good. That's so good. The idea that, I, I guess I'd never thought about this idea that, you know, yeah, it's hard enough to change myself, but I'm also, as I'm trying to implement change as a, as a husband and someone who desires to be a spiritual leader of our home, as I'm trying to set um, principles for our family, or as I'm trying to help to shape the culture, the tone of our family, that I'm going to experience a lot of resistance because there's a lot of players involved here. There's a lot of hearts involved in this. There's a lot of agendas involved, a lot of schedules. And so it's going to take some, and to be aware of that, that's so good to just know that, recognize that, not get discouraged by it, but to know, hey, this friction that I'm experiencing is actually the thing that could, if I continue to press into it, propel me forward, propel us as a family forward if we kind of lean into this. That's so good. Really good. Yeah. I, and and I would say just, just to kind of put a period on the end of, of that kind of um, recognition is th- this is not because anyone in your family is necessarily re- uh, rebellious no, yeah. or recalcitrant right. or it, it's absolutely just human nature. And I often describe this in using kind of a, a of a metaphor and an analogy of it's as if if you if you've you're, you've been, had your family for mm-hmm. let's say eight years right or eighteen or twenty eight years and um, and the way your family interacts is like waltzing hmm. and you decide that waltzing is passe hmm. it's not what you want to be doing in your family anymore it's not healthy. No or it's not productive, or it's not effective, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so you want to start doing the Lombada, (laughs) just for instance. (laughs) Well, think about how awkward that is initially. You've got a bunch of people on the dance floor who are used to waltzing. yeah, And all of a sudden, you change the music and the steps, and you're trying to do the Lombada on a dance floor with other people who are waltzing. And so there are several options there. Um, now with children, it's it's not quite this this obvious, but um, you know the other people on that floor who are used to waltzing with you have a couple of options. They can say, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying to waltz while <laughs> the music is playing the lombada yeah. and you're trying to do the lombada, you know. Um, and so eventually, somebody's gonna have to either you're going to give up and go back to waltzing or the other person is going to join you in, in, in the new dance step. Right. Right. But it's kind of a funny way to, to just illustrate how awkward those initial stages of change can feel to everyone. Right. In any circumstance, whether it's, you know, pertaining to your family or whether it's just pertaining to, like you said, trying to change a habit or something about your own personal growth. Hey friends, we'll get back to my conversation with Julie in just a moment, but I want to take a second and tell you about our bonus teaching video we have for our monthly partners in August. Every month we've been releasing a teaching video about a topic or a principle that I've learned as I've walked through finding purpose in my pain these last few years. This exclusive video is only available to our $10 and $20 a month partners. 
This month, I talk about waiting seasons. The other day, I was getting my hair cut, and I overheard a man in the chair next to me tell his barber, things just aren't moving as quickly as what I had hoped. If you feel like something in your life has been delayed, or you feel like you're waiting on God to bring something to or do something in your life that hasn't happened yet, this video is for you. If you want to learn more about becoming a monthly partner and how to gain access to this video and more exclusive content, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little soundbite from that teaching video before we get back to Julie. I need you to know that a promise delayed is not a promise denied. A promise delayed is not a promise denied. Just because something is delayed does not mean that it is it is not going to happen. It just means that God's doing something and we need to begin to look at our our delayed periods or our waiting rooms, so to speak. If you feel like you're in a waiting room in life, look at our waiting rooms from the perspective of God instead of looking at it from our own fleshly perspective. A promise delayed is not a promise denied. What are some of the, you've already listed several of them, but maybe where are some other, dive in some more about some other common denominators that you see um, in, in people who experience a happy, healthy, enriching marriage. You know, what does that look like? Paint, paint a picture for us because oh, yeah. if we're sitting here listening to this and I'm going, I wonder if I'd have a enriched, happy, healthy marriage. Show us what, that, what that's supposed to look like. Well, I'll do my best. Um, so <laughs> I think I think that couples who have really great marriages um, do have some things in common. Of course, every marriage is different. Right. And yet there are some commonalities or, or, or at least uh, good ideas to keep in mind. And, and I'm going to start with um, uh, one that sounds negative, but I'll, I'll morph it into into a positive way of saying that, you know, that there is a common kind of common sense understanding that that all marriages are 50-50, mm. right? We hear that kind of concept stated in a variety of ways. There are two sides to every story, which mm-hmm. of course there are. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. Um, uh, there's no such thing as a divorce that is only about one person. There are mm-hmm. two people involved in every marriage. Every, every marriage is 50-50. Um, mm. I have to tell you that I really do not like that saying. Yeah. Um, and here's why. First of all, while I completely agree that it is impossible for any, I believe it's impossible, that may be an overstatement, but it, it seems mm. pretty um, impossible to me for any marriage to uh, survive, let alone thrive, without both spouses yeah. being involved and contributing. Um, I, I have to tell you that over 30 years of being a professional counselor, I have seen many marriages that have been destroyed by one person. Mm. Um, I'm not suggesting that it's possible for anyone to be perfect, of course. Right. But um, it is absolutely possible for one person to simply walk away from a marriage or to refuse to end an affair or to refuse to get help for their uh, addiction or their personality disorder or their, you know, Mm -hmm. there there are all kinds of of ways and, and circumstances and times and reasons under which largely a single person can lead a marriage into destruction. Right. 
Um, now, so let's go back to what makes, what creates the most, the healthy marriages. Mm-hmm. I think that I want to encourage all my clients to go into your marriage, assuming that you're going to give a hundred percent. Because if both spouses are always willing to give and eager and intentional to give a hundred percent, then there's never a lack. There's never a deficit. And that becomes important because it seems to me that most relationships are going, are going to encounter at least one time, if not more than one time over the course of their, of their lifetime, where the marriage does need to be largely carried by one spouse, whether that's because one is in a serious illness or a serious financial crisis or a serious family issue or whatever it is that 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 kind of derails one person or takes all their energy or all their focus. If 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 both spouses are in the habit of giving a hundred percent of what is capable, they are capable, each of them are capable of giving, contributing to the marriage, then then that marriage will never just die by neglect or a lack of being covered. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Wow. So you're saying this, the whole idea of 50-50 and compromise in marriage and all of that stuff is really not a good foundation. It's not a viable foundation I, I for us I don't like to, it. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly glad to, for anyone to uh, disagree and, and I'm willing to consider additional perspectives, but uh, you just brought up the word compromise. And right. um, I, I don't know if you're baiting me, but um, I'll take the bait. <laughs> so uh, um, I don't like the concept of compromise yeah. because while in a compromise, everyone is supposed to win, everyone is supposed to gain something. By definition, in a compromise, everybody also loses something. Yeah. And most of us have a greater tendency to focus on what we've lost, what we had mm. to give up, rather than what we gained. Wow. And so it it it's like a double-edged sword or it's bittersweet. It's you know, so I prefer the concept of collaboration mm. where we both are working on the same side for the good of our marriage to arrive at a solution or resolution that is optimally beneficial to both of us. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I prefer the concept of collaboration to compromise for that reason. Yeah. Hmm. What would you say if someone feels like maybe they're in a situation in their marriage where they love the idea of this 100, 100, but they're afraid to put in their 100 because they may feel like they're going to get taken advantage of, or they are afraid or, you know, concerned that the other person's not going to reciprocate. And so they're going to become in some ways a victim of, of this thing. So they, they hold their guard, you know, what is that? What would you say to someone? How would you advise or counsel somebody like that? Well, again, every situation is different. And certainly you and I both know, Davey, that there are people who are in abusive relationships, um, neglectful relationships, you know, relationships that really are not healthy. And so I'm going to respond first to let's assume that the that the relationship is at least somewhat, if I can say, average. Yeah, right. Because certainly if you're an abusive, yeah, if you're an abusive situation, you would certainly not advocate that person stay in there. Get help, get out of that relationship. It, Absolutely. Yeah. So we so I I yeah, just want to be clear that that we're talking about a, a relatively 
normal, right. if we can use that term, right. relationship. And so I, I do understand that. And, um, and, and there may be very legitimate reason for that person uh, to have some fear of being used or taken advantage of. And at the same time, without speaking with someone in particular, I also can't know mm. if the reason that the, the spouse who's afraid to give 100% is afraid of being taken advantage of because of something in their history that actually has nothing to do with their current spouse, mm. or if it really has something to do with their spouse. <laughs> right. right. Or if it's like because of a pattern or, or yeah, something that has already happened. Yeah. Exactly. But the other thing that I would say is that I, I, I think that more often than not, if I can say it this simply, goodwill begets goodwill. Mm. And I, I think, and in addition to that, until I'm willing to legitimately and truly and sincerely for a sustained period of time, give everything that is within my power to give, I can't really know for sure the extent right. to which any issues in my marriage are actually about me mm. or more about my spouse. So as long as there's room for that question, then it seems reasonable to me for, for me to be willing to look at myself and do everything in my power to give for the, for the best interest of my marriage and yeah. just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, again, in, in kind of normal average marriages, um, it seems like the potential cost is less than the potential gain. Hmm. So another way that I often approach this with clients is view this as an experiment. Hmm. Commit to a 30 or 60 or 90 day experiment. You're, if you're afraid that you're, you're going to end up being taken advantage of for the rest of your life, try it as an experiment for yeah. 30 or 60 or 90 days. I actually uh, have one that I, I call... Um, uh, 30 days of treating your spouse like the man or woman of your dreams. Huh. I actually call it an experiment. Okay. And, and I have to tell you where it comes from. Um, I believe, if my memory is serving me correctly, this comes from a, an old Dear Abby column. Huh. So this is, yeah. So I'm, I'm completely using <laughs> uh, Dear Abby advice. <clears throat> <laughs> um, but I, I have suggested this for many, many, many clients over the years, both husbands and wives. Yeah. And when they're in a situation where they're, they're, you know, they're not saying I'm, I'm in a clearly unhealthy, unsafe, dysfunctional situation, but you know, I've kind of lost desire for my spouse or I don't really like her anymore or um, I just don't feel connected anymore or yeah. he makes me crazy or, you know, whatever. So once again, I'm always going to focus my clients back to um, you may be completely correct about your complaints, your frustrations, your annoyances about your spouse, but you can't change your spouse. Mm. So, so keep your focus on what you can control. This is something you can control. So are you willing to commit to 30 days of of doing number one, removing everything negative from your vocabulary, your attitude, your thoughts, your intentions, your actions. Um, so you're not whining, you're not complaining, yeah. you're not nagging, you're being positive and encouraging and hopeful and grateful. And, and 
to me, the simplest way to describe it is you're committing to 30 days of treating your husband like the man of your dreams or your wife yeah. like the woman of your dreams. Hmm. And, and I have to tell you that uh, I certainly have had some clients who have tried that who didn't necessarily experience some kind mm. of a, uh, an astronomical overwhelming result, but, but way more than not have loved that activity mm. if, if they give themselves permission to really commit to it. And I have had many, many, many clients who have said the results were really, truly amazing. Wow. Wow. I had one client one time, this was actually not very many years ago, and she'd been married for maybe 45 years at this time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was really, really, really disappointed in her husband, kind of hurt by him, felt distant, et cetera. And when I gave her this, this recommendation in our very next session, she came back to me and, and with happy tears shared that, um, she didn't even have to really put it into place because as she started to think about, well, you know, what would it look like to be married to the man of my dreams in order for me to know how to treat him like mm -hmm. the man of my dreams? And she said, I realize that's exactly who I'm already married to. <laughs> wow. So it was a change that all took place in her mind. Her Internally, husband never yeah. even had any idea. She went through that, wow. that internal cognitive exercise mm -hmm. to completely change her perspective about her husband. Wow. Wow. I, I, um, well, I can't, I don't have to imagine because I know this from personal experience that when you focus on yourself and what you can change, the things that are within your control, especially internally to change within yourself, you'll find there are so many issues there that you don't have time to focus on yeah. the other person. You could spend the rest of your life majorly focusing on trying to get it right yourself, and uh, and you're gonna it's yes. gonna use your time just just fine. <laughs> oh, that's that's so fantastic. Yes. One of the things you talk to us about a lot that I love, and you talk about communication and uh, healthy communication with with married couples, and there are certain methods or certain principles that you uh, consistently, I imagine with all your clients kind of introduce these things like, Hey, put this kind of thing in place, put this kind of thing in place. One of the ones I'm thinking of specifically is the marriage staff meeting, the marriage business meeting, so to speak. <laughs> um, explain that here I am. I'm going to ask two questions, explain that for me and maybe some other helpful methods or things for married couples to put in place to help uh, really uh, enhance their communication. Okay. You are again, so correct, Davey. That really is one of my favorite strategies to encourage uh, pretty much anyone who wants to listen to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that most of us can stand room to improve in our listening skills as well as our talking skills. Mm. But um, I like to say, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth and we're wise to use them proportionately. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of one way to think about that. But I also have come convinced, uh, you asked at the very beginning of our talk today, um, what are some of the things that I've learned from my mm. couples over the years? And one of those is that I have become persuaded that the vast majority of conflict in relationships, again, barring obvious dysfunction, is um, misunderstanding mm. that usually derives from miscommunication, poor communication. 
And so I, I am convinced that uh, we can um, literally avoid, if not much more immediately and efficiently correct misunderstanding by making some, I'll call them pretty simple. I started to say minor, they're not minor, they're major, (laughs) but but they're pretty simple changes in the way we communicate. So one of the first is, is to recognize that uh, communication does always have a two-way street. Mm. (laughs) So communication is always kind of 50, 50, right? It involves the speaker and it involves the listener. And, you know, the funny thing about our memories is that they are usually pretty strong. When we have a memory about anything, we are pretty confident yeah. in that memory. The problem is that our memories, no matter how strong they are, no matter how confident they are, can be extraordinarily inaccurate. Mm. And that can be true when it comes to communication. That can be true whether I was the speaker in the conversation that I'm recalling, or if I was listener. And here's why. When I'm speaking, I don't listen to myself very carefully. Yeah. And so it's very easy for me to say something. I, I may be thinking about somebody's stepson and I say foster son or mm. vice versa. I may be talking about one of my children and use my other child's name. Right. We all do that. Right. Right. So when I'm the speaker, because I don't always listen carefully to myself, because I know mm. what I'm talking about, I know what I intend to say, I can say something completely incorrect. Now the other person may have heard exactly what I said, but we don't have a common understanding of what I meant to communicate. Yeah. And then, of course, as a listener, everything I hear, everything I take in comes through my own filters, whatever those happen to be, however Mm. thick or distorted my filters happen to be. And so one of the simplest ways to avoid an intractable conflict is for every person, married or not, husband or wife or not, child, parent, grandparent, I don't care, to make this one promise to themselves. I will never, ever, ever, ever again, as long as I live, participate in this argument. Well, Mm. you said, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, there's no way out of that. Yeah. It's a completely unwinnable dynamic, right? But but right. here's how easy it is to fix that, Davey. Instead of saying, well, you said, what if I said, you know, what I heard you mm. say, or what I interpreted, or what I remember. And then the other person has the opportunity to say, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if that's what I said, but I can tell you what I meant to say. Yeah. And now we can go on from there. It's so simple. Yeah. It's so simple. Um, the other thing I think that, that to which you're referring is um, kind of a, it's a strategy that I describe as effective listening skills um, that mm-hmm. start with um, uh, really just kind of tuning in well. And, and the point of this is to put yourself in a position of, of truly and li- literally just being a listener. Uh, and, and, mm. and you can practice this really with anyone. So start out practicing with your best friend or with a cashier at the grocery store yeah. <laughs> or, or something where, where you've got little skin in the game, right? Yeah. But just, <laughs> not a, just not a lot of emotional so that, attachment there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that then, then when you get to those heavy conversations with, 
with your uh, spouse, then then you, you're 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 all practiced up. Yeah. So, um, so the point is really to put your own concerns on hold, so that you are better able to completely tune in to the other person to make sure that you actually have complete and accurate information from them before you even think of responding. Most yeah. of us are constantly rehearsing our rebuttals or our yes buts mm. or our questions. But if we really want to understand what somebody else is thinking or experiencing or feeling, our best option is, is to just close our mouths, pretend we have a lock on our mouths largely, and, and just listen. And as we're listening, we're going to use, you know, uh, good eye contact. We're going to do what you're doing right now, which is nodding as I'm talking. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, podcasting uh, has really those... helped me become a better listener because I don't talk as much when we're <laughs> podcasting. I ask the questions. Now, as you've observed, I get my talking in by asking four questions in one question. Right. But this right. is a good practice for me to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so we really just want to tune in initially. Um, summarizing is a really great tool because yeah. while using good eye contact, nodding, saying mm -hmm, things like that, give the appearance that we're listening. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily illustrate that we're listening. And so when we summarize what we've heard the other person share up to this point, then that gives us the opportunity to really show that not only am I listening to you, but I'm really hearing and mm. understanding what you're saying. Um, to, if I can parse that out just a little bit further, I actually uh, prefer that you summarize in your own words rather than mimicking or parroting back to mm. the other person exactly what they said. Because again, mimicking or parroting illustrates that you have been listening it does not necessarily prove that you have understood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So right. once you summarize, now you're going to just be quiet again, let the other person keep talking. Most people can get out what they're thinking and feeling all by themselves as long as we don't interrupt them. Mm. So not interrupting is a pretty important thing other than just to offer those summaries, but still not without any comment or or rebuttal or feedback or right. something like right. that. And then if the other person starts to kind of slow down, then still before you begin to even consider responding, ask several open questions. Mm. Um, open questions basically allow for any answer. So they're not closed. Mm. Like, do you want pizza or Italian? For that's that's a closed question. That's an either or question. It only allows for two answers, right? It's not a yes or no question. Are you sad? That's a yes or no mm. question. You don't get a lot of information when someone answers a yes or no question. Um, so open questions are basically any question that starts with who, what, how, when, or where mm. from a simple perspective. You want to avoid why questions. Ask me why. Mm. Why? <laughs> I was a little scared Thanks to because playing. that's I'm supposed to avoid the why question. <laughs> that's right. You're such a good student. Um, so if you're past about four years old, 
then you probably don't ask legitimate why questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, three, four, five-year-olds, you know, why is the sky blue? Yeah. Uh, why is the, the grass green? Right. You know, why do birds chirp? Those are genuine why questions that allow right. for a, a legitimate answer, right? But as adults, when we ask why questions, we're usually giving a statement in disguise. Mm-hmm. And that statement usually has a value judgment attacked, attached. Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, funny, Freudian slip there. Um, yeah, <laughs> att- <laughs> attached. So, for instance, if I say, well, why did you do it like that? Hmm. What I really mean is, you know there's a more right. reasonable way to do that, dummy. Right, I don't like the way you just did that, yeah. Exactly, Right. yeah. So, why questions between adults are, are not usually genuine, open, hmm. honest questions. That's good. It can be. But as a rule, it's it's good to avoid them. So who, what, how, when, and where? Excellent. Five questions. No whys. Okay. You're you're a good listener. Okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> so now that we've talked about a, a good strategy for helping to ensure that you really understand what the other, what your spouse is trying to convey before you even consider responding. One of the things that you're likely to experience, Davey, if you really legitimately put those kinds of strategies into practice is you will have the opportunity um, to very blessedly Mm. experience times when you realize, oh my goodness, I, I guess we're not in disagreement about that at all. Mm. Or I was really hurt initially, but as I listened to my spouse explain what he was actually thinking or feeling or intending or whatever, now I have some additional information that completely changes my perspective. And so my feelings aren't hurt anymore. I'm not Mm. angry anymore, right? So you mentioned marriage staff meetings. <laughs> I love that too. So um, I actually started recommending these for clients who were healing from adultery mm. because what I noticed in those situations is that one spouse has a desperate need to ask all kinds of questions and just vent and spew and cry and yell and all kinds of things like that. While the other spouse desperately does not want to talk about it at all. Yeah. Mm. And so for couples who are going through a crisis, I needed to help them figure out a way for both of their needs to be met in a way that was mutually respectful, Mm. kind, loving, compassionate, and served the best interests of their marriage. And so that's where the marriage staff meeting kind of originated. And so um, basically I I recommend that the couple set aside one time a week for couples who are in a pretty extreme crisis, it may need to be twice a week, Mm. right? Maybe a Wednesday night at seven and a Saturday morning at 10 or something like that. But, but for other couples that, you know, once a week, maybe even once every other week may be sufficient. But the point is that both parties are agreeing ahead of time that on this day and time, whether it's an hour or two hours or whatever, however amount of time, however much time they agree, each of them are saying, number one, I will not initiate any conversation 
the rest of the time that might that might be negative or contentious or conflictual mm-hmm. or something like that i'm committing to bringing the my right attitude energy um and and participation to the marriage staff meeting so each cup each person is probably going to maybe keep notes yeah. during the week about things that come up that are hurtful or disappointing or frustrating or annoying or whatever and we bring those to the marriage staff meeting. And so mm. what the marriage staff meeting does is it it provides t- for meeting two opposite needs in most marriages. One mm. is to ensure that we appropriately, responsibly, and mutually respectfully address the needs, the hurts, the issues in our marriage. And every marriage needs that. Yeah. But every marriage needs way more positive time than work time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the marriage staff meeting also protects the other 6.7 days <laughs> of the week yeah. to be more harmonious and positive and joyful and fun and playful and all of those kinds of things. If you don't have enough issues between you to need an hour a week or two hours a week for heavier kind of work, well, then your marriage staff meeting could be where you do your budgeting. Hmm. Or your family, you know, you're you're planning your next vacation or planning that that uh, uh, renovation project on the house or, yeah. you know, talking about child care for the coming semester or whatever. So it can still be a time that is very, very useful. Right. But it doesn't have to it doesn't have to necessarily be just for really potentially painful topics. Wow. So good. So good. Julie, I wish we could sit here and talk about this all day long. We stayed on the topic of marriage through this whole conversation, which was really good. I intended on us talking about some other topics as well. So you're just going to have to come back on to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, and we'll talk about all kinds of other things, other topics of folks that you've um, worked with as they've been walking through their their trials. Well, you let me know when, and I'll be glad to join you. <laughs> this was that awesome. Would be, that would be delightful. Uh, well, thank you so much, and and we, yeah, we would love to do that. We'd love to continue to have some conversations about this, because I know this was super helpful. Uh, there's so many people who are navigating uh, difficulties in marriage. And you're right. What you said at the very beginning of this, that marriage is a, a the best, the in fact, the instrument that God gave us to reflect Him to each other and to the world and how much He loves us unconditionally. Yes. This is the tool that He has given us, a gift that He's given us for this. And if more Christian marriages can thrive, then I believe Jesus is going to be seen broader and um, and it's going to be a, a, a the kingdom is going to be brought to earth as as marriages are thriving. So thank you for the helpful tools that you've given us today, and we're just really appreciative of what you're doing in our lives as well, uh, personally. So thank you, Julie. Well, you're you're most welcome, and thank you, thank you for inviting me on. I'm very honored. I told you that's why I love Julie. She's amazing. Yeah, that was a phenomenal interview. Rich, rich, rich stuff. This is why I like just sitting in, every time we have a counseling session, I'm like, yes, I've got my notebook. I've got it written. I'm just like, (laughs) she's got so much great stuff to say on listening and understanding and walking in those spaces of empathy with your spouse. And um, 
and working on things. Yeah. When she talked about how one spouse carries another spouse, man, I can resonate with that so much. I feel like Charlie and I are constantly recognizing the grace that God has given us. Like one spouse has been stronger in a hard season than the other. And it is such a gift. Yeah. Well, and again, you mentioned it before in our intro, but she talks about the power of prayer and I love, I love this 10 to 1 rule or 9 to 1 rule or whatever it is that you have implemented in your marriage. And what's really cool about that, Mel, is that I have kind of a perspective on the other side of the equation. Um, and I have a perspective that feels like it's, it's full circle because after my late wife, Amanda, passed away, I spent a season reading through her journals. Okay. And it was powerful to read all of the things that she was praying for me about that I had no mm-hmm. idea she was praying for me about. Because she never mentioned them. Wow. She never brought them up. I have goosebumps right now. That is so beautiful. What's even more powerful about that, Mel, is that I recall there were several times I'd come across those things, and I remember specifically when the Lord convicted me of those things. Oh, no way. And like the timeline that it would, that it fell into with when she was praying fervently for those things. And so Stormy O'Martian writes a book, The Power of a Praying Wife. Yep. I mean, that is, that's the power of a praying wife. And the same is true for for a husband, that there is power to prayer. We don't have to be the Holy Spirit for somebody. If we pray for our spouse, yes. then if they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, God's going God's gonna to convict them. He's going to challenge them and in, in much better than, than what you can, you know? Yeah, I truly believe that. Yeah, so, so well, good. we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Download all of his music where you can stream or download music. He's got some incredible stuff out there. My favorite is the Enneagram series that he does. It's course, so good. <laughs> course, as an Enneagram fan, I love that. And uh, we'd love to hear your story. We'd love to hear h- how you're walking through what you're walking through. And so write in, tell us about your story. Hello at nothingiswasted.com. And if you're looking for a counselor, we would love to help you. If you're struggling with that, you're like, I don't know where to find a counselor. We can do everything we can to try to help you with that. So you can write in um, and we'll see what we can do. We'll kind of put our nose down to our networks and, and see if we can help you as well with finding a counselor in your area because we believe so much that you need counseling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Davey. That is, that's a very kind offer. I wonder how many people are going to take you up on that. I hope a lot of people do. I hope so. I hope a lot of people do. Uh, well, this has been such a great episode. Here is a clip for next week's episode. Enjoy. I had left my room key that the night before. Like I went home, like literally it's two blocks. Like I walked back and forth to work, yeah. to the university. So I went home that night, said goodnight to the kids and then walked back. And then I texted Rachel that I, I left my room key there. Mm. And so can you bring it to me in the morning? And so I texted her that morning at breakfast and didn't hear back. Like, you know, when are you going to bring the key over? And it's like 8.30 and I hear these kids outside the room and the professor's like, oh, there's children out here. And I'm like, those sound like my kids. And sure enough, so I went out there and Christian, our oldest who... I had just turned six at the time. As soon as I walk out, he's like, we were robbed last night. And I'm like, okay. And my, my mental state was like, they woke up and things were gone. Like yeah. that's, that's what I was picturing right away. And so there's all these kids there. Rachel's kind of quiet, but she's usually quiet. So that's, <laughs> that wasn't a big deal. And suddenly Christian says something about there was three guys. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did you know how many guys were in the house? And then he said, well, mom talked to him. 
And then I looked at Rachel and again, there's, there's no one else in the lobby. It's kind of quiet and just the kids. And I was like, there were three and she just said yes. And I was like, well, what did they do? And she kind of looked at me with a look and just said, just ask yes or no questions. Mm. And so then I'm, I'm starting to catch up a little bit and I'm like, okay, well, I was like, did they hurt you? And she said, no. And then my mind went and I said, did they touch you? And that's when her whole composure just changed. 